0: Welcome to this week's Rashi Sheer, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Good evening, and we resume with Perik Kaf, uh, sorry, Laman Aleph, Pasuk Nun Bet. So we're nearly at the very end of Bayeze and Yaakov and Lavan have sort of reached some sort of agreement, and they've made a pillar and a mound of stones. And now Lavan in Nunvet says what this uh, mound, this pillar is going to serve as. We've already said it's gal-aid. It's a mound which is a witness. Uh, Lavan used uh, the Aramaic translation of that word. Good evening. Nice to see
1: you. Hi, sorry. <laughs>
0: okay. So in Nunbet, Lavan says, "Aid Hagal Haza, hamatseva, the witness, the testimony of or sorry, this mound will be a witness, and this pillar will be a witness. Im ani lo. If I do not pass over to you, et Hagal Hazer, this um, mound im ata lo ta'avor elai, and if you do not pass to me, et hagal hazeh, this mound, etama matzeva, and the pillar, hazot, this pillar, for bad. Now Rashid says on the words im ani, he says the word im does not have its usual meaning. What is its usual meaning? If. But here he says, haray im, mashamesh shvaloshon asher. The word im here serves as an expression of asher, that ad im dibarti davarai. So, as always, when Rashi says a word that has a different meaning, he has to bring a proof text to confirm his view. So, when Eliezer um, is in Rivka's house, they say to him, "Nu, no, eat," and he says, "I'm not going to eat." Ad im dibarti davarai. And in that sense, in that example, im cannot mean if. He doesn't mean, "I'm not going to eat." until if I speak my words, because he's definitely going to speak his words. So there, the word im means asher, ad asher dibati davare, until that, doesn't quite work in English, but ad asher, sort of until I've spoken my words. So here also, Rashi says im means asher. So, eid hagal hazer, beida ha-matzeva, im ani lo e'avor e'lecha, means asher ani lo avor e'avor e'lecha. That I will not pass over to you. And it seems to me Rashi solved two problems. Um, in two ways, Im doesn't make sense. Number one, if I don't pass over to you, well, uh, that's sort of hanging um, on nothing. If I don't pass over to you, then, then what? Um, and also, this gaul, this mound, and this matzeva will be a witness if I don't pass over to you. What will it achieve if it's a witness if I don't pass over to you? We want it to actually do something. So the way Rashi reads it, it said, it actually makes sure that I don't pass over to you and you don't pass it to me. The, the mound will be a witness that I do not pass over to you. So I would suggest this is a relatively simple case where im meaning if does not make sense im meaning asher, uh, that does make sense, makes much better sense in, in many respects in terms of what we want this, this gal and this matzeva to actually achieve. And that's why Rashi says that im here means asher. And the next comment of Rashi is on the last word of the Pasuk. And again, let's just go through the Pasuk. Eid Hagala im The round of the pillar will be a witness Using Rashi, that I do not pass over to you. I don't pass this gal, this mound. im ata elai, again using Rashi, and that you don't pass over to me. Etagal this mound. hazot, or this pillar for bad. And Rashi comments on the word for bad. And he says, l'ra'ah, over." You cannot pass over for bad, but you can pass over for trade or for sustenance. Um, what has Rashi done? So the word la ra'a is really superfluous because the issue is we could manage perfectly well without the ra'a. Um, I'm going to give you two sort of ways why laraa is problematic until Rashi answers the problem. Number one, we could have managed without. The issue is they don't cross paths again. You've got this mound, which is the barrier between Lavan's realm and Yaakov's realm, and they shouldn't cross over. That's the issue. That, that's what they're trying to achieve. In which case, why do we need the word Lera'a? Or alternatively, you can ask, if we have the word Lera'a, isn't it obvious isn't it obvious that they can't pass over for a bad purpose they're worried about doing bad to each other as far as we're concerned Lavan's going to do bad to Yaakov Yaakov being Yaakov Avinu is not going to do bad to Lavan but the way Lavan puts it he's worried about Yaakov doing bad to Lavan so what else might you have thought the whole point of stopping them going across is to stop doing bad so two different points which are actually mutually exclusive either we could have done without that altogether or it's so obvious, why do you need to say it? So either way, Rashi says, it's a miut. it's a limitation. It says this whole condition is only in the case of la ra'a, that you don't pass over the bound, the border which the mound um, establishes, you don't pass it over for bad, implying you could pass it over, pass over it for good, or for practical needs, or if you need to come across the border for trade you are able to do so laraa is a limitation laraa you're not allowed to pass over for bad aval ata over parakmatya, but you can pass over for trade so laraa is a limitation you could say if you want to be really fancy but the lamed of laraa is serving a special purpose the lammed hasiba the lamed of reason Normally Lamed indicates you're going towards something, normally a concrete thing or a place. It could be an abstract thing. You're going for to a bad thing. Here Rashi says it means you're going for the sake of doing something bad. So you can't pass over Lera'a, not to evil, but for evil, for the purpose of evil. Okay, now we come on to Nun gimel, and I, I call this the Interfaith Hasuk and um, for reasons that will become clear. So Lavan continues and says, "Elohe Avraham the Elohei Nachor yishpatu beinenu. The God of Avraham, that's Yaakov's grandfather, and the God of Nachor, that's Lavan's grandfather, and Avraham and Nachor are brothers, will judge, plural, between us. Elohe Avihem, the God of their fathers, Sorry, the God of, of their father, Avihem is singular. And Yitzchak swore by the fear of his father, Yitzchak, i.e. God. Why do I call this interfaith Pasuk? Because Lavan is being very, very ecumenical. He says, this God and that God, and they'll go together, and that's very nice even though, as Rashi will point out, the god of Abraham and the god of Nahor could not be more dissimilar. They actually don't exist in the same world at all. But Lavan puts them together and says the two gods together, Yishpatu, plural, will judge Benenu. And look at Yaakov's response. Yaakov is having none of this. Yaakov is not intending an interfaith meeting where they eat cucumber sandwiches and talk nicely about how you pray and we pray, and isn't that interesting? He swears by the pachad aviv, and we've already learned that he says pachad instead of God because Yaakov, sorry, Yitzhak is still alive. So pachad aviv Yitzchak is the God of his father Yitzhak. He does not bring in the God of Nachor. He's only got one God, and that's the one he's sticking to. Now, in order to, I think, um, tell us what's going on, and especially because we have... Um, the word Elohe occurring three times, meaning at least two completely different things. Rashi, as it were, sorts it out for us. And Rashi says Elohe Eloke Abraham, that's Kodesh, but Elohei Nachor, and that is hol that is profane. Now Rashi, I think, is operating on at least two levels. One, he's telling us when the pasuk refers to the God of Abraham, that's the holiness of the real one and only God. When the pasuk refers to the god of nachor that is something profane that is something absolutely not holy but he's also giving instructions to a sofer when a sofer writes a line of a sefer torah a word of a sefer torah he has to have kavanah he has to have the intention that he's doing this l'shem kedusha sefer torah but in addition when he writes the name of hashem uh, and this is why you have to know who the sofa is you can't just pick up a uh, mezuzah or us, even us a say Torah, and just assume it's right because he's got the words there. You have to know who's written it because you have to know it's such a person who has the right intention when he is writing it. And when he comes to a name of Hashem, he has to write, he has to say, "I am writing this, lashem Kadusha Hashem, for the sake of the kedusha of Hashem's name. And there's at least one other example I know of, which we've come across, where there you could read it as, is the name, is the word Adonai. Uh, Adonai, sorry, is that Kodesh or Chol, when Abraham meets the three angels and he says, Adonai, is he talking to the chief of the angels or is he still talking to Hashem, who's just appeared to him? Rashi says, um, it's actually, or it could be one or the other, but we pasken, it's Kodesh. And you have to, the, the, the sofer, when he writes it, has to have the Kavana, but he's writing the name of Hashem. So similarly here, when a sofa writes, Elokei Abraham, he has to know it's Kodesh and he has to have the Kavana, but he's writing the name of Hashem. And when he writes Elokei Nachor, sorry, Elohei Nachor, he has to know but it's Chol, there's no Kedusha whatsoever, and he writes it without any kavana, but he's writing to the Shem Hashem. But there's one more, Elokei, and Elokei Avihem, so this is really the, the unity. I, I won't keep making the facetious remarks, but this is the interfaith unity that uh, some people prize highly. So who is the God of their father? Who is they? who is there and who's the father so they is nachor and abraham and Elohe abihem is the god of their father the father of abraham and nachor who was that anyone
1: father,
0: father. who was the father father of abraham yeah. terach thank you very good the father of abraham was terach and what sort of gods did he worship Idols. He was a professional idol seller. Although Rashi does tell us that he did the Shuva, the Sophia Marv at the end of his days, we can assume, and Rashi assumes that when Lavan, Lavan still talking, talks about the God of their father, he's also still in his idolatrous mode, and he's referring to the idols that Terach worshipped. And Rashi helps us understand that by saying, Elohe av- av- Avihem is Chol. Um, and presumably she understands. That he's referring to Terach and referring to Terach's gods. Pasuk nun Yaakov Well, we'll leave Rashi to translate Yizbach <speaking in Hebrew> and zevach, <speaking in Hebrew> which go together in the mountain. <speaking> in <Hebrew> and he called to his brothers <speaking in Hebrew> to eat bread <speaking in Hebrew> and they ate bread <speaking in> bahar, <Hebrew> and they spent the night on the mountain. There are three words there, which do not have their most common meaning. And the first is Vayizbach. what do we normally understand by the a, a korban, to offer a sacrifice. There's no sacrifice here. They're not in the bet Migdash. They're not even at the bimah. They're, they're not sacrificing anything. So Rashi says, the He slaughtered animals, For a feast. So it's it's entirely non-Kodesh affair. There's no sacrificing going on, but zebach also can mean slaughtering. A mizbeach is not just an altar, it's a place where animals are slaughtered. Even actually in the Dutch, they weren't slaughtered on the mizbeach, but they were offered on the mizbeach. And the root of mizbeach is zebach, related by the way to tavach, meaning butcher, mitbach, meaning kitchen mitzbach and Mizbeach are cognate. Um, and in a kitchen, you don't do much uh, sacrificing, but you might do some slaughtering. Certainly in a butcher shop, you do some slaughtering. So Rashi tells us, because you might think yizbach implies a sacrifice, Rashi says it just means shachat, he slaughtered, as in for food, for a meal. And then it says, and he called to his brothers. It says, Rashi, ohav Sha'im lavan. To his fen- friends, those who liked him, who were with Lavan. Last time it was it was his son, his sons, and I have to confess, um, I didn't spot that, and I didn't. I wondered, I, I now wonder why it doesn't say sons here.
1: Yeah,
0: well, it's different. Well, I'll tell you what. what occurs to me? It's the same brothers. <laughs> what occurs to me? Okay, so the problem is he's not got any brothers. He's got one brother in the world, and he's not involved in this story. Last time as has just been correctly pointed out, um, Le'echav referred to his sons. Um, this was in Pasuk Memvav. In Pasuk Memvav, it was said, Va'yob Yaakov, to Avanim." Yaakov said to his brothers, gather stones. And Rashi there, in Memvav, said, Le'echav, Banav." They are his sons. And then they explain why they had the attribute of brothers, because they were with him in Patsara Uba Milchama. But it occurs to me, um, why did Rashi have to say they were sons there? Because Yaakov was asking them to do a hard job. Gather up these stones, rocks. Stone sounds a little bit um, easy. To make a gal, to make a matzei, it's quite a big job. So who are the people whom Yaakov can ask and can expect willingness to help? They have to be his sons. Other people who are unrelated to Yaakov are not going to accept his demands. What's he offering here in this posture? Food. He's saying, come and eat. Come and eat doesn't have to be uh, his sons. It can be other friends who are standing around. So I actually think that that's the answer. Mm-hmm. And that's why Yaakov, I think Rashi is actually contrasting the two. He has to say le'achav in one case. He has to say le'achav in the other when they are different. And we, the reason they're different is because there's a different. Uh, Let's really uh, explain why he calls them achav. Ah, there you explain. Someone that help you. Here we don't have uh, well, reason uh, Why or uh, Very true. Very true. Uh, so so, so I guess an ohev is an ach. Okay. okay? So I guess that's implicit in Rashi's words.
1: Could be brothers in like a tribal sense. Like obviously these are like tribes, so kind of like anyone within your tribe, in a sense, is like your brothers because that's.
0: Like, Do you think that's what Rashi's saying when he says La Ahavav Shaim l'aban? Kind of because
1: because they're like a family. It's like a family tribal family. So like I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's exactly what he's saying, but kind of like. it, it, it,
0: it could it could justify what he's saying. Okay. And then the third word which is problematic is lechem so what does lechem mean everyone means bread and there's something if it means bread here there's something wrong with the menu because which we understand means slaughtering animals and he says come and eat bread it's a bit funny to say (laughs) yeah i mean i wouldn't be very happy because i'm quite carnivorous if you have all this beautiful buffet laid out and say come on guys have a piece of bread it's not it doesn't make sense it's not nice it a good bread. It a very good bread so rashi says <laughs> so another reconfiguring of our understanding of the word anything that is edible can be called bread kamo avad lechem rav Daniel, Perak Hay, he made lots of bread. And if you look there, do you know what meal that's referring to? You look like you're about to, no. no. Okay, so I wouldn't have known had I not looked at that. Is when he's like
1: getting captured? It? Uh, no,
0: okay. uh, it's Balshatza's <laughs> feast. Balshatsa, who is the grandson of Nevi Kadnetsa, has the feast, and there appears, very famous idiom, the writing, the writing on the wall that said, you're, you're cashing in your chips tonight. Um, anyway, and at Parshavah's feast, they didn't just eat bread. So Avad Lechem Rav show, refers to lots of different foodstuffs. And another example from Yemiahu, um, uh, Nashkita ate Balachmo. Um, that means ate the tree, Nashkita is destroyed, Balachmo, with its bread. Well, bread doesn't grow on trees. It actually means fruit. So the tree is destroyed with its fruit. It's it's a nevuah of of nasty things going to happen. And there the word lechem means not bread. So we see from Daniel and we see from Imiahu that clearly, and again, these two examples are very clear. They're they're, they're clear-cut. There's no other way of reading it. So if lechem means food which is not bread, in both those cases, it means food which is not bread here, which answers our problem of what's going on with the uh, slaughtering animals and offering bread doesn't mean that it means slaughtering animals and offering food um i mentioned this last week after the Shia, but i'll say it this week so it gets on the podcast um i gave a talk recently um about the origins of the chapter divisions in the tanakh and how they are not jewish and how although often they coincide with the pasha which roughly correspond to a paragraph or what we would call a chapter in the tanakh and often they coincide with the beginning and end of a sedra. Sometimes they don't. And if you look hard, sometimes you don't even have to look hard. There's a different approach, which comes from seeing the non-Jewish chapter divisions and the Jewish beginning and ends. Um, the non-Jewish chapter ends there. And it ends with Yaakov and Lavan and their families having a nice big feast. All friendly. Our sedra carries on. Three more psukim, And what happens in the next three psukim? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, all for What, what happens the next three psukim is Yaakov parts from Lavan. As far as we're concerned, the end of a story is not the feast where they're all having a good time together. On the contrary, the end of the story, the, the redemption arc is completed when Yaakov has got away from Lavan. A very clear difference in emphasis. Yes, Sarah?
1: With the... Um, Yahoo referred to his extended family as his brethren or brothers. Um, it got me thinking I felt like there was something similar or related um, with the story of um, Dina and Shlem. Um, and I couldn't figure out what was sending me there, like there is that sort of shift in seeming shift. Kishim Shimon right?
0: described as Ache is that what you're thinking?
1: Um, so then I was like, maybe it's that, but I felt like. They will sort of put themselves on the same level as Yaakov. He waits for
0: them to come back. Mm-hmm. They call Dina their daughter. They're like they call they refer to her as. Let's like, do be- be- yeah. um, it. Sorry. Lamed <laughs> <maybe. laughs> Unfortunately, we're sort of stuck with it. Yud Zayin. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. So they call Dina their daughter.
1: Perhaps there is some element of the older brothers
0: like containing some status of So brothers are like pair. they're actually brothers, but they call themselves parents. I Meaning
1: not not in a, yeah, not necessarily, obviously not
0: literally, but okay. so brothers has a non-literal.
1: M- maybe people that they start to, there's some shifting power in the family and they start to see themselves more on like the Al-Kot's generation and taking
0: responsibility. Well, that, th- what you're saying here fits very well with yeah. what seems to be going on in the story. The Akhot takes a step back and he waits for his sons to come back and the sons do all the talking yeah. and all the fighting.
1: And they
0: say, it. That's right. Although at the very end, they say, mm-hmm. And I was also noticing, when is it that they go on the rampage? <laughs> yeah, our cafe. So, stresses that they are the brothers of Dina, which they literally are. Yes. Full brothers, by the way, not just half brothers. Yeah. Um, and it seems to imply that's why they're going to fight for her, right. which matched up with the Rashi we saw last week. I think you weren't here, um, where the first time Rashi explains echav, meaning sons, because, as I quoted earlier, they're with him, but Sarah ubu milchama um brothers are people who stand up for you when you're in trouble as the afedina did but it's very interesting what you pointed out that even though they were her brothers they can talk as if she's their daughter because their brotherhood is uh, i i would say the brotherhood is is quite a flexible term yeah
1: and maybe like we tend to a it's more our girl
0: than our girl ah our girl yeah i speak brothers sometimes say of their little sister yeah yeah, yeah. okay so having promise that the next three Pesukim, which are still part of the Sedra of Bayishla, and as far as we're concerned, there's no division between um, uh, the previous verse, which is Lamed Aleph Nun uh, Dalad, and Lamed Bet Aleph, they so just carry on without a break. Aleph says, came Lavan v'Bolkeh. Lavan got up early in the morning, Bayanashit Lavanav and he kissed his sons, which means grandsons, but that, I think that's okay. Beliv Notav and his daughters, bayevaref ethem, and he blessed them. Bayelech, and he went, Lavan, Lim and Lavan went to his place. And that's the end of Lavan in so our he history. He kissed
1: everybody except Yakov. Is that uh, what it means?
0: Uh, I didn't notice that, but as, well, unless you say son in Law is included in sons, which <laughs> perhaps it is. But Jacob Holach, Ladarko darkō. Jacob went on his way. Ve'yifka'u v'ol malachim and angels of God met him. And Rashi says, Ve'yifka'u v'ol malachim elokim, malachim shel eretz Yisrael ba'u likrotō lelavato laaretz. The angels of Eretz Yisrael came to meet him to accompany him to the land. And this matches up very nicely with what Rashi said in Peret chet yubet, when Yaakov had a dream and he saw angels, what was the exact, Loshan? Going down and No, the other one, Olim- Olim- Yordi, going up and then coming down. And Rashi said, these are the angels of, of Eretz Israel about to leave Yaakov, um, because he was going, well, we'll talk about where he was going in a moment. And the angels who, Work in Chutzla'arets were coming down. And that's, Rashi doesn't spell it out, but that, in fact, he more or less does. He says, Why were they going up first? Because presumably the angels come from Shemaim, so he would have come down the ladder first. But Rashi explains they were going up first because they were the angels of Eretz Yisrael going up, and now the angels of of Chutzla'arets were coming up. Yeah. So this uh, sort of bookends, etc of Bayetze, with these angels, because according to Rashi, it's exactly the same inion, same matter at the end of the story. So he meets angels. Malachim Eretz Yisrael, U So uh, we understand why he meets angels. So there's a few things to say. Number one, I saw that the uh, Yifke'u, um, if you, perhaps one can say precisely means meeting in the sense of paths crossing, coming I mean in the opposite direction. So Rashi Eri is the Yifke'u, he's meeting, um, angels who are coming in the opposite direction. to him. He's coming out of Chuzlaretz, he's going into Eretz Israel. So the Eretz Israel, Dika angels, we might say, come to meet him in the opposite direction. That's number one. Number two, the Ramban asks a question, which he could have just as easily asked about at the beginning of the story. Where is Yaakov at this point? He is nowhere near the border of Eretz Israel. He's just left. He's just passed this Gal Ed, um, which is in Aram. He's not yet in Eretz Israel. So why are the angels of Eretz Israel coming to meet him? You could ask the same question when he left. Where did he have the dream? Well, you can call it Beit El. It was called Luz before that. It's also the site uh, sort of connected to the place of the Bet Migdash. It's Ha HaMaria. Wherever it is, It's nowhere near the border. So why did the angels of Eretz Israel leave him at that point? And the answer is because he was going out of Eretz Israel. Once you're on your way out, it's as if you've already left. An obvious piece of muscle. Conversely, once you're on the way there, it's as if you've already arrived. So Yaakov is now heading back to Eretz Israel. He's in the direction of Eretz Israel. So the Israeli angels come to meet him. In which case, says the Ramban, you can ask another question. He's, this isn't the beginning of his journey out of Chutzlarets. He began that journey a week before, when he ran away from Lavan's house. So why didn't the angels meet him then? So now I forget if it's the Ramban asking and answering, or if it's the Maharal ask, answering. I think it might be the Maharal answering, who says, it's true that as soon as you start to leave Chutzlarets, you're on your way to Israel. But Yaakov had to wait until he was out of the power of Lavan. While he was running away, it was always possible that Lavan would catch up with him and stop him going any further. What's happened now is Lavan has said, all right, you can go. And they've parted company. And now Yaakov is truly on the way to Eretz Israel. So now he meets the angels. Next thing to notice is... um, Okay, we'll wait for the next Rashi. We'll wait for the next Rashi. <coughs> so Apostol Gimel says, Yaakov KaAsher Yaakov said, just as he has seen them, the camp of God, And he called the name of the place Machanayim. So Rashi's got an obvious question. Yaakov says, I've seen um, the Machane Elohim, and yet he calls it machanayim, plural. Is there one camp or is there two camps? If he sees one camp, why does he name it two camps? So Rashi answers that. Machanayim, machanot, two camps. Shel chutzel la'aretz, shabo imo adkam. The camp, i.e., understand camp as in the group or the troop of angels of chutzel la'aretz who had been with him until here. And the Israeli angels that were now coming to meet him. Notice, by the way, and that's why it's Machanaim, that's why it's two camps. Notice, by the way, that in the case of when Yaakov, see if I can get this right, when Yaakov had the dream, the Israeli angels went up, and then the non Israeli angels came down the Israeli angels did not wait for the non-Israeli angels to come down. There was actually a gap. Here, it appears to be that they wait for the Israeli angels to come, but the non-Israeli angels don't go. And they're there together. How do I know they're there together? Because Yaakov calls the place Machanayim. So the two groups exist simultaneously. It's also the case... That the well right it's all implicit in the pasuk it's explicit in rashi there's no reference of the non-israeli angels going anywhere bear that in mind for the next verse by the way um whereas at the dream it was quite clear the israeli angels went up to shemayim the non-israeli angels came down so it may be that you can say that the non-israeli angels in the case of this incident wait for the israeli angels to appear because the Israeli angels are molchosheth. So the non-Israeli angels are waiting. When you can see, and in the reverse, the Israeli angels do not wait for the non-Israeli angels. When Yaakov was leaving Eretz Israel and he had the dream of the ladder, the Israeli angels went up and they didn't wait for the non-Israeli angels to come down because they're molchosheth, they don't wait for anybody. But on the way back, there was Machanaim, the non-Israeli angels were still there until the Israeli angels arrived because the Israeli angels are more husha. They don't need, they don't wait for others. And I would also add, uh, just to, to reinforce, actually, we don't know anything about the non-Israeli angels. Again, unlike in the dream of the ladder, it's quite clear, one goes up, one comes down. Here, one comes, uh, one arrives, but we don't know anything about what happened to the non-Israeli angels. Bear that in mind as we go into the next verse. So we're now starting the Sedra of Bayesha. The mood is now, Yaakov's left behind what happened with Lavan, and he's now preparing for what's about to happen with Esau. He's been away for 20 years. He knew that Esau was a little bit unhappy at how things had turned out with the blessings. Um, In fact, Esau wanted Yaakov dead. Um, and as we will see, he's somewhat nervous about what mood he's going to find Aesop in. Um, just occurs to curse me, just to mention, um, the Ramban criticizes Yaakov for seeking out Yaakov. The Ramban, who's very much, I, I know I, I always say the Shias on Rashi, so I avoid talking about other than the portion, but I've got the prerogative to do so. Um, the Ramban who holds Masa Avat Simon Abanim, what the uh, ancestors do is a sort of an archetype for what their children are going to do. Uh, and this doesn't just apply, like, you know, Abraham went down to Egypt, his descendants go down to Egypt as well. It's much more long-term than that. And the Ramban sees in this description of Yaakov meeting Aesop the way um, the Jews in the time of the Romans dealt with the Romans. And he criticizes the Jews for inviting the Romans in. We talk about the Roman occupation of Yehuda, of Judea, um, but it actually, the Romans were invited in by two Hashmanian brothers who were having a civil war, and one thought it'd be good to have the Romans on his side. He said Romans about, I think it's about uh, 150 BCE, um, maybe later, maybe later. Yeah, no, it's late, it's about 50 BC. Sorry, if I haven't got that exact right. Anyway, they invited the Romans in, And the Romans came in and said, tell you what, rather than support one side against the other in this civil war, we'll just get rid of both of them and we'll take over. And that's what the Romans did. Um, And the Ramban says, they didn't need to invite the Romans in at all. And similarly, he says, Yaakov didn't need to encounter Aesop. It's a big country. Didn't need, they could have avoided each other, but instead Yaakov um, bows down before Aesop because he's scared of him. And the Ramban says he shouldn't have done that. Anyway. Back to our pastor. come back to Rashi. Yishlach Yaakov Malachim sent Malachim, we'll leave that untranslated before him, El Esav Achiv, to Esav, his brother, Arza Seir. Rashi's going to tell us that the Hay on the end of Arca means to the land of Seir, Sede Edom, in the field of Edom. And Rashi says, and this is a very famous Rashi, Ve Yishlach Yaakov Malachim Malachim Mamash. Real angels. Because what does malach mean? Malach can also mean messenger. Rashi's saying it's not messengers, it's the real thing. It's angels. You know, the guys with wings and halos. That's whom he is sending. Um, the muscular David writes, Kama Diot the Kama Kulmasim Mishtabrim. Many much ink has been spilt, and many quills have been broken. Ladat. Um, right to to understand Rashi to understand why Rashi brings this Russia Dilma uh, basavadam maybe Yaakov sent human messengers of flesh and blood why does Rashi say they are malachim mamash and as I said the muscular David says a lot of ink has been spilt in trying to answer that question so there are a lot of answers offered. A lot of answers offer, but I'll just give you a few. Um, and the first one, you might have noticed I set you up for. Do you notice I set you up for? What happened to the Chutzla Aretz angels? They didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And remember, although it's a different sedra, Pasuk Dalad follows straight on from Pasuk Gimel. And more than that, it's not just Pasuk Dalad follows straight on from Pasuk Gimel. That what comes later, after Pasuk Dalad, is an explanation, is like the background of why he sent these, let's call them messengers, and why, what message he gave them, and why he was nervous about meeting Aesop, and the whole explanation of why he sent the messengers. And normally, we would expect that to come before the sending of the messengers. We would have expected Yaakov was very afraid, Yaakov wanted to pacify Aesop, Yaakov sent messengers. But we don't have that. We have Yaakov sent messengers. It's out of order. And maybe it's out of order to link Pasuk Gimel with Pasuk Dalad to say that Pasuk Dalad is a direct continuation of Pasuk Gimel, in which case the Malachim referred to in Pasuk Dalad is the same as the Malache Elokim referred to in Pasuk Bet, um, and then mentioned again in Pasuk Gimel. So that is one answer to the question of why Rashi says these are real angels, because he's referring to the same angels. We were mentioned in Pasuk Bet and Pasuk Gimel, and in Pasuk Dalet is just a continuation. Another answer is you have to look ahead to Pasuk uh, Zion, which we might get to tonight, we might not. The messengers returned and they said, we came to your brother, we came to Esau. Um, uh, He's coming to meet you with 400 men, which is a bit dodgy. And Rashi says there, uh, last, at the end of Rashi, Odeno Sinoto, he still hates you. Now, how do these messengers know that? Can they read his mind? Are they telepathic? No, they're divine. They're angels. That is another explanation of why Rashi says they're angels, because Rashi himself says in Pasek Zayi, they have the sort of knowledge that human beings aren't going to be able to work out. Um, I think I've just given you three possible answers, um, well, two are related. One is, it's the same angels in Pasek Bet. Another is, the angels in Paseg Bet didn't go anywhere, so they're really available for Paseg Dalad here. And another is, how did they know what was in Aesop's uh, mind? Um, there are many other answers. The um, one, one uh, which I don't fully understand is, someone want to argue the word lefanav is mutar, it's superfluous, and um, which, which uh, you can argue that it isn't because we can find other examples where people send people lefanaf, Um And also, I, I didn't quite work out why if l'fanaf is there, it tells us that malachim are uh, angels. Not quite sure about that. Um, give you another answer. The, uh, the Gemara gives two opinions. The Gemara says, one, they were malachim, malachim mamash, as Rashi says, and another opinion that they weren't. They were flesh and blood. And the one who says they were angels brings a kalvachoma, a proof by induction, from the minor case to the major case. The minor case is Hagar. Hagar saw, if you count each individual time a Malach speaks to her, five angels. So the Gemara says if Hagar saw five angels, then Yaakov, who surely is on a higher level than Hagar, he must have seen angels. So somebody wants to say, I forget who, that. If it's a Kavachoma, if it's like a, a worked out drusha from the Gemara, then nobody can argue with it, even though there's another amora in the Gemara who does argue with it. But if Rashi's quoting that opinion in the Gemara, it's based on a Kavachoma, then we just accept it. Okay, let's move on. Rashi, as I already uh, flagged, has something to say on Artsa Seir. He says it means Le Eretz Seir, to the land of Seir. And then he says, Kol teva every word that needs a lamed at the beginning, til la hakatuv hay the sofa. The pasak puts a hay at the end. In other words, wherever you could have put a lamed at the beginning mean to towards, you can do the same with a hay at the end. It's not strictly true. It doesn't apply in every case. Um you wouldn't put a hay on the end of a person's name. If Ruven went to Shimon, Reuben halach le-shimon, you wouldn't say Reuben halach Shimonah. It doesn't work. So it doesn't quite mean kol teva, but it's a rule that applies in, certainly when you're talking about locations. Um, I don't know, and I couldn't see anyone who asks why Rashi says this a number of times. Uh, and I didn't do an exhaustive survey, but I think we all know that Rashi makes this point about the hey at the end of the word, it's equivalent to a at the beginning of the word, and he makes this point, I forget the number, but it's a few times. Uh, and why in different places and why Dafka here? I don't know. Um, it reminds me when in my shiva we learn global karma and he repeats and something else many of the time. Rashi? Rashi yeah. something in global karma in Prakshani, And I asked my yeshiva why the reason he needs to say it all the time. And he finds me that the reason was that he, was, he had an agreement with someone so he wants to show that he his opinion oh, yeah. is right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's... A, or, or maybe in each case, there's another he, way of reading it. Yeah, yeah, so we want to show that. Yeah. Okay. So having sent these messages, he commanded them saying, so you shall say, to my master, to Esav. Ko amar Yaakov, this is what your servant Yaakov says. Im Lavan Garti. We, I have dwelt with Lavan. Echar ad ata. And I have delayed until now. Two comments of Rashi. And the first one perhaps is well-known. The second one is very well-known. First one says, Garti, I dwelt. Now, Garti comes from the word ger, I was a stranger. I did not become like a minister, the chashuv, or important, Eila Ger. I only became a Ger, a stranger. I didn't make it to the big time. What's the point of that? Continues Rashid. It's not necessary to hate me. Al Birkat Avicha Shaberachani. Where for the blessing of our, your father, interestingly, he calls him your father, not our father. Where he blessed me with be a master of over your brother. Bless him. Shahare Kaima be, because behold, it wasn't fulfilled in me. So Yaakov, Yitzchak gave Yaakov, thinking he was Esav, a number of brachot. One of which was be a mighty one to your brother, me a master of your brother. Now, you might remember from Kaf Zayin Mem, I think, no, um, Kaf Zayin Lamed Zayin, Kaf Zayin Lamed Zayin. When um, Esau came back and cried and he said to his father, please give me a bracha, uh, Yitzchak said, what can I do? I've already given Yaakov the bracha of hein gevir uh, la'achercha, be the ruler of your brother. And Rashi comments there. And Rashi says, if you look at the brachat that Yitzchak gave to Yaakov, this wasn't number one, it wasn't number two, it was number five. And yet it's the one that uh Yitzchak highlights as it's a done deal, there's nothing more I can do. Uh, and Rashi explained there, um, it means that anything that once Yaakov is the master over Aesov, like in a master-slave relationship, anything that Aesov acquires will belong to Yaakov because Yaakov is the master. But we can see, even without going into that sort of detail, we can see from here that Yaakov knew that Esav was most bothered about that bracha that Yaakov obtained. "Havei gevir Be a mighty one over your brother. And Yaakov is saying, it didn't happen. It wasn't fulfilled in me, so don't get cross. Now, there's a big question on that, which I'll come to in a little while. Then, now... Some versions have Devar Acher, I think most versions have Dalar Alav here, dvar Acher implying it's a different explanation. If there's no Divar Acher, it's like the continuation of the same explanation. But if there is a Dvar Acher, then you've got two different answers which might be mutually exclusive. And then this is a very famous comment of Rashi, Garty, the Gematria Tariyag. The Gematria of Garati is Tariyag, even better, tariag is the same letters as Garty, rearranged, Kulama, as if to say, Im lavangarti, mitzvot shamati. I dwelt with Lavan, and I kept the 613 mitzvot. hara'im. I did not learn from his bad deeds. Okay, lots to say on this. Lots to say. First of all, why does Rashi say anything? So, an answer given is, we didn't need to say garati. We could have just said echarti, I have delayed with Lavan. I've been with Lavan a long time. That's, that's the word in the Posseh. Um, Im garti garati echar adata. It could have just said in Lavan Ekharti, uh, I've been delayed with Lavan. So the word garati could have been managed without, and therefore Rashi needs to comment on it. Um, I said there's a big question, um, and we really need to answer this, and I've never noticed this before, before I was preparing this, how can Yaakov say, don't worry about our father's bracha, it didn't work, how can Yaakov show such a lack of emunah, if you like, in the bracha of Yitzchak, how can Yaakov say that, don't worry, it wasn't fulfilled in me, it came to nothing.
1: Is it a lack of emunah, or is it him appeasing his brother?
0: Well, he's appeasing his brother. And you mean, does he, be, does he mean it? Is that yeah, your question?
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: Well, he's using words that imply that Yitzhak's Bracha is is nothing. It doesn't come to pass. It's not a nice thing to say. It's certainly a even if he's just saying it to get Asof on side. It's not a nice thing to say. So, yes.
1: Could it be referring to the aspect of the bracha as well? That's more of a sliding scale that. You
0: know, sometimes I'll be on top, sometimes. Ah, okay. So, yes, it could be. So, Yitzhak finally found one sort of redeeming bracha or thought for Asav. Um, and that was Kafsai and Pasuk Mem, which basically, the way Rashi explained it, is when B'nai Israel stopped keeping the Torah, then the Asaf will flourish. Mm-hmm. So, however, that, there's a problem with that, because he says, I didn't stop keeping the Torah. Yeah. okay well he's the at the (laughs) moment he is so there's a lot of things there there's different directions we can go so number one um we could say that the reason he says i kept the tarot mitzvah is to emphasize that look the brachas didn't work which means i go back to the questions i haven't answered yet the bracha didn't work now you might think because you've learned rashi that the bracha does work but Yaakov stopped keeping the mitzvahs, and that's why he didn't become a gavir, but the bracha did work. To which Yaakov says, no, no, the bracha really, really didn't work, and I didn't become a gavir, and don't think it's because I stopped keeping mitzvahs, because tariyag mitzvah shamati. So that second part is to emphasize what he says in the first part, in which case it's not the baracher, it's a continuation. Even though I did not lose my right to the bracha, they were not fulfilled in me, so don't worry about the bracha. Um, but I saw a very beautiful idea that says like this, and it answers both questions, right? Why do we need the Tariyag Mitzvot shemati? I mean, what, we also need to answer that question. We've just given one answer. Why is Aesop interested in how from Yaakov is? Aesop's not going around checking how long his cities are. That's not Aesop's style. So why does Yaakov think it will be remotely of interest to say Tariyag Mitzvot shemati? So I've given one explanation. Um, the bracha wasn't fulfilled in me, so you can be happy, you don't need to hate me, even though I kept all the mitzvahs. Number two, I saw, I think, I, I, I'm not sure it's pshat, but I thought it was a beautiful idea, that how can he say that Yitzhak bracha wasn't fulfilled? Of course it was fulfilled, but he's saying to Aesop, it wasn't fulfilled the way you feared, it was fulfilled in a different way. It wasn't fulfilled that I became in charge of anyone, let alone you. But I was raised to a great height, as the bracha promised. What's the great height as far as Yaakov is concerned? Tarih mitzvah shalati. I kept the brachas. Sorry, I kept the mitzvot. So from your point of view, you can be happy because the, the bracha wasn't fulfilled in me, the way you imagined. But I'm not suggesting for one moment that Yitzhak bracha didn't work. It really did work as far as I'm concerned. I kept mitzvah. I had the most beautiful elevation which was, I kept the Um, By the way, this is all beautiful, this is all t- cute, and lots of things are said about this Tariya Mitzvah Shamati, including the question I'm going to ask in a moment. It's probably not part of Rashi, because you don't, this, this bit about Tariyag, this gematria of Tariyag and Garati doesn't appear in the original manuscripts of Rashi, it's probably added later. So you can make all the nice drushes about it, but um, it's uh, probably not original Rashi. Uh, another nice drasha about it, which also fits where answers the question of why does Yaakov think it's relevant to Aesop to tell Aesov how from Yaakov was and how he kept all the mitzvahs. So I heard a beautiful drasha. You probably heard it. In fitting with the first part, Yaakov is saying, look, I didn't achieve very much. You can even say he's saying that in the second part as well. I kept the mitzvahs, but I didn't learn from Yaakov's deeds. Sorry, sorry, from Lavan's deeds. You know, Lavan, he didn't keep any mitzvahs. He was a Russian. But he went about his rishas, his evil, with such enthusiasm. He was so keen on tricking me, on tricking his daughters. But I didn't learn to have the same enthusiasm when I kept my mitzvahs. Uh, I think it's a shoshu rather than Shat and rashi, but it's, it's quite a nice idea that we should learn from Lavan to be as enthusiastic as his to be, he was to do the wrong thing, we should be to do the right thing. Now, I said there's another big question on this idea of Tariag Mitzvot Shemati. Did he keep Tariag Mitzvot? Did he? Absolutely not. Was he a Melech? Did he keep the Mitzvot of the Melech? Was he a Kohen Gadol? Was he a woman? It's like a phrase. Um, yeah, but it's very precise. I mean, we can answer all this by saying it's it's incorrect. It shouldn't. We should uh, cut it that's, uh... He's true. He, he kept all the mitzvah that he yeah. could
1: have. Okay, so that's one answer. So that's
0: one answer. He kept all the mitzvah that he could have, and that means he's committed to a totality of mitzvah. The truth is nobody on earth can ever keep all tariag mitzvah, because some of the tariag mitzvah a lot, are only for Kohanim, some are only for Levain, some are only for Yisraelim, some are only for men, some are only for women, some are only for, women, are only for kings, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Many of them are only for people who live in Eretz Israel and not for people who live outside Eretz Israel, et cetera, et cetera. So nobody can keep tariyah mitzvot. So maybe you can say it's an expression. It means I kept all the ones I could do. Or you can say, how do we understand for us ourselves that we keep mitzvot that we don't aren't able to actually fulfill? We learn about them. We don't bring kabarnat, but every morning we say the whole Mishnah of Ezelme Kamban, which goes through every different type of, of Korban and we learn about them and that's how we keep mitzvahs and Yaakov presumably learned about them as well but he gets more problematic because there's one mitzvah he definitely didn't keep there's one mitzvah he transgressed which is don't marry two sisters and if you say Bilhar and Zilpah were also daughters of Laban, which Rashi did last week he's married four sisters Anything
1: <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: um, clearly that's neged the Torah. So, everyone asks, How can you say he kept Tariyab mitzvah? Maybe you should have said, I kept Tariyab mitzvah, it doesn't have the same ring to it. Mm-hmm. So, either you can say, um, it was compelled to by divine decree, as we say in the Haggadah, it was by Ruach Kodash. he knew he had to marry four wives. Rashi said many times, well, actually referring to the Imahot rather than Yaakov, that they knew there were going to be four wives, they knew there were going to be 12 sons, that's why Leah dovened that Dina should be a girl, so that Rachel will at least have two, because there was only two left, etc. Rashi said that many times in, in the previous parasha. So if the Imahot knew that there were going to be four wives and 12 children, 12 sons, then surely Yaakov knew as well. So he was being told by a Kodesh Baruchu, this is what you have to do. So in that case, it wasn't an Aveira for him because it was Hashem wanted him to do. Um, a more technical answer, which sort of avoids the whole question, is to say that when they married Yaakov, they converted. It's very hard to say this because it's totally anachronistic because there was no conversion process before Ha'asinah. But let's say there was. What happens to the yichus of somebody who converts to their family? they cease to be related to their family. They become like a newborn babe. Um, and therefore, and, and uh, one of the implications is, um, a ger should certainly be nice to their parents. And that's a very, their non-Jewish parents. And that's a very important, kiddush Hashem are very important for all sorts of reasons. But it's not actually a mitzvah of a kibbutz aim, because on a certain technical level, the non-Jewish parents of a ger are no longer their parents. And if two sisters convert, They are no longer sisters because they each like start from zero in terms of relationships. So if you want to say that Rachel and Leah and you add Bilhah and Zilpah converted to Judaism, I said, this is very anachronistic. It's a little bit pilpalistic to say this. But then they cease to be sisters and he ceased to be transgressing any Avera, any Lothase when he married them. Okay, I think we will pause there. And we will continue with Yaakov's preparations for meeting Aesop next week in Yitzhosham.
1: Thank you very much.